um, I taught a Bible study that seems to have gotten a lot of people's attention, uh, that I might know him, is what I titled it. If you were not here, I would encourage you to go back to podcast and listen to that one. Uh, because of the just tremendous response that I got from it, I'm taking advantage of the opportunity. People seem to be a little more open-minded right now. But I'd like to spend the next two or three Wednesday nights with you talking about biblical principles of holiness. And uh, I've taught this series before. It's been a while, and I just feel like it'd be timely to go through it again. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, uh, the writer said to follow peace with all men. That's a very important statement in the scripture. The Bible does not give you a license to be crossways with anybody. You follow peace with all men. You do everything you can to be at peace with all men. That's a challenge, is it not? And then he went on to say, and holiness. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Again, I want to talk to you for a few minutes tonight about the biblical principles of holiness. This Bible-based material is for everyone who has a desire to please God through the conduit of holiness. It is a necessity, if you attend Grace Church, it is a necessity for all church leadership people. If you are in leadership at Grace Church, you have a title at Grace Church. This material, uh, holiness lifestyle, is a necessity. I believe in Christian lifestyle. I believe in holiness. And I believe that the church should be different from the world. If it's not different, then what's the point in being a part of the church? I think it's important and necessary that you be open to the Word of God. And if you're going to... uh, I'm speaking to a very traditional and a very strong bent about holiness here tonight, and I know that. So I'm going to use vernacular and terminology that's going to be applicable. But you have to be open. If you want to be... If you want to live a holiness lifestyle, a, a, a life that pleases God, then you have to be open to what the Word of God teaches. You can't be selective towards the Word of God. You can't pick and choose the good parts and leave the rest out. You have to have a spirit of willingness, a spirit of desire, and a spirit of obedience. If you don't have that, then living out Biblical principle is going to be difficult. What I mean by that is if you still want to be carnal, fleshly, worldly, uh, you'll struggle with holiness. I will remind everyone here tonight that we have three ways that you can be a part of Grace Church. You can be an attender where all you do is you show up and sit in a church service and go home. You just attend and that's it. We're cool with that. If you choose to attend Grace Church, nobody's going to pressure you or guilt trip you about anything. If they do, I want to know about it. I want to know who they are so I can go talk to them. We don't pressure people. Nobody's going to come drag you, get you by the arm and drag you down to the altar. We don't do that here. Uh, you're, you work out your own soul salvation at Grace Church. Uh, So anyone is welcome to attend Grace Church. I say that all the time unless you come to be destructive. 
and then we'll have another matter to talk about. The second way you can attend Grace Church is by becoming a member. And by becoming a member, you obey Acts 2.38. You repent, you're baptized in Jesus' name, and you're filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. We ask you to be faithful and to tithe your income to be a member. That's it. So you can come as a member. You're not a part of anything. You're not in leadership. You have the Holy Ghost. You've been baptized. You're faithful. You're paying your tithes. And you are a voting member in Grace Church. You can vote in our business meetings and what have you. But then when you decide you want to be in leadership, things really change. We ask you to be obedient to Acts 2.38, to be faithful, to pay your tithes, and to live a lifestyle of holiness. I want everybody at Grace Church to understand these three levels so you can help me promote it. When people come and say, oh man, I can't do all that stuff, you don't have to. Please help me promote that with people. It's okay for anyone to come and attend Grace Church as long as they're not destructive. And hopefully after a while, and we have people that have done this, but we've had people attend this church for months and months before they even see the necessity of repentance or baptism or the Holy Ghost. We're good with that. As long as they're, they're coming, there's hope. If we get all up in their face and say, no, you've got to do da 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 to come here, they'll never come back. Well, you lose your hope. Does that make sense to anybody besides me? All right, so that's members. But when you come to pastor and you say, I want to be in leadership, then we uh, run you through a leadership class where you are instructed about what our holiness standards are here. And we ask you to live that with a sweet attitude, not because you want to be in leadership, but because you love Jesus and you want to be pleasing to him. So I hope everybody understands that. So let me introduce to you tonight the concept that I like to teach for holiness. Listen very carefully. In John chapter 3, verse 5, is a very important and essential teaching. It's where Jesus said, you must be born of water and spirit. We love that verse, don't we? It's very important. Without the new birth or being born again, Jesus said, you cannot and will not enter into the kingdom of God. John 3, 5 is a very important verse in the Bible, is it not? Okay, it is, whether I had everybody agree with that or not, <clears throat> or say they did. Hebrews twelve fourteen is an important verse. It's just as important as John 3, 5. Hebrews twelve fourteen is as important as John 3, 5 and Acts two thirty eight. It's a scripture we read tonight, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. So the new birth is the entrance into the kingdom. Holiness is the pathway in the kingdom. I don't believe that holiness standards can be taught as a doctrine because, as I taught two Wednesday nights ago, it eliminates grace and faith. If you live strictly up to some church's teaching on holiness standards, then why do you need the grace of God anymore? Why do you need faith anymore, for that matter? You're, you're saving yourself by your own works. We talked about that a couple of Wednesday nights ago. The other reason I do not believe holiness standards can be taught as a doctrine is because culture and traditions vary from continent to continent. But no matter what traditions and culture says, the concepts and, princ the concepts and principles of holiness are the same everywhere. And that is, according to what the Bible teaches, the Bible teaches when it comes to holiness lifestyle, 
It teaches modesty, moderation, and distinction. Those three things are an essential and are often based on culture or tradition of a particular culture. For example, if you had a missionary that went to Africa, the continent of Africa, and I say that because it's hot and very humid, you could say South America, uh, countries like that, uh, they'll teach holiness standards from one particular perspective. But if you have a missionary that goes to Alaska or Siberia, they're going to have a different bit just because of temperature. Would you agree with me that holding the standards in Africa probably wouldn't be a good idea in Siberia? You would freeze to death, even though you're still modest. So you can't say you have to wear this and you have to wear that. <clears throat> so there are Bible-based standards. There's Bible-based teaching, which are a minimum requirement, which is what I was talking about two Wednesday nights ago. As your relationship with God develops, you may develop personal convictions, but you do not impose them on someone else. I know I have a, a preacher friend, someone that I know very well, that will not wear cufflinks. He thinks that's jewelry, and he won't wear them. That's his personal conviction. When I have a shirt once in a while that requires cufflinks, I wear them, and I don't think it's a big deal. But I'm not going to impose my belief on him, and he's not going to impose his on me. Does everybody understand that? So if you have a personal conviction, for example, if you come from a particular lifestyle or background in sin, you may be more sensitive to things than other people who've not lived where you've lived. So you may have a little more of a stringent requirement you place on yourself, or perhaps God does it, to keep you from going back to that area, well, don't get all crossways with other people who don't feel the same way. They didn't come from the same background you did. This is a personal relationship with God, not necessarily a church-wide relationship with God. I don't feel like I'm communicating too well. I hope it'll get better here in a minute. <clears throat> you need to stay open to God. The more you develop your relationship with God through... Holiness, not men-pleasing stuff, God-pleasing stuff. The more you develop your relationship with God through holiness, trying to please God, the more of God you will see and understand. And that's why so many people live such a shallow relationship with God is they don't do the holiness thing. They, they want to do everything that God says to do except that. Well, their lifestyle ends up being fairly shallow and what have you. Listen carefully. Everyone agrees that the fruit of the Spirit, that's love, joy, peace, righteousness, long-suffering, all those things, is an essential part of discipleship. But so is holiness. There's two elements in Christianity that you please, whether you want to or not. One is God and one is men. And the Bible teaches that. We live holiness, we live a holy lifestyle to please God. We live out the fruit of the Spirit, large in part, to please men. The fruit of the Spirit makes you nice to people. See, again, I don't think I'm communicating too well. I, I hope you're just listening and, uh, or understanding. So when the Bible says to follow peace with all men, to follow peace with all men, that's the fruit of the Spirit. 
you manifest the fruit of the Spirit to follow peace with all men. That's relationship with man. But when the Bible said, and holiness, that's relationship with God. And when you cut holiness out of your life, you're cutting a, a, your God-pleasing conduit out of your life when it comes to your relationship with God. So the word follow in Hebrews twelve fourteen means to pursue or to maintain a lifelong desire. Holiness is not what's perfected in our life. God is in our life, and holiness is a result of it. And if people could understand that, half, more than half of your battle about holiness would be won. Holiness is not what's perfected in your life. Living church holiness standards does not make you perfect. You're just dressing away somebody's telling you to dress, or you're acting a way that someone's telling you to act. I can do that when I go to work at McDonald's. I'm going to wear what they tell me to wear. You're going to wear them goofy little black shirts with smiles and arches on them and stuff. And a little cap that I don't know where they got that from. Uh, but according to McDonald's, you're dressed perfect according to their plan. But it doesn't mean you're saved. You can come to, you can go to any church you want and dress and act like they tell you to dress and act. That doesn't save you. The grace of God saves you. And we need to understand that. <clears throat> I'll fill in more blanks as we go along. You'll need to come back next Wednesday night to get the next big part of this. Okay, so don't leave tonight saying, rah, 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 rah. you've not heard the whole thing. It's going to take you at least about three Wednesday nights to go through the whole thing, maybe even four. Next Wednesday night we're having the missionary. Holiness is not attaining to a point. Holiness is not attaining to a point. You don't reach a, some level of seniority or tenure or wardrobe change and say, okay, now I'm holy. I wish, I, 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 I'm not, are y'all, am I, am, I under, am I communicating okay here tonight? I just, I'm getting that look. And I don't know what it means. Y'all got me nervous. Holiness is not attaining to a point. You don't reach a point after you serve God for Four years, three months, 28 days, two hours, five minutes, and three seconds. And now, hallelujah to God, I'm holy. We have been programmed to think that. As soon as you quit doing certain things, and then you start doing certain things, and all of a sudden you're holy, that is not what the Bible teaches about holiness. It's not a point you attain to. But it is something we live on a daily basis to please God. You'll understand it better by and by. Just y'all hang with me. I'm spending too much time on my introduction. This I'm still on my introduction. First Peter chapter one. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be you holy, be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Conversation means lifestyle, conduct, behavior, etc. Holiness, Pentecostals, holiness is not our God. I know Pentecostals and apostolics that make an idol out of holiness. We bow down to holiness. We're holy and salami, salome, baloney, we're holy. And we bow down to that. That's not what holiness is. It's not an idol. You don't worship your holiness lifestyle more than you do God. 
You don't proclaim you're holy more than you proclaim you're a Christian saved by grace. So holiness is not our God. We are holy only because of God. So there's three reasons to be holy. Number one is to please God. We belong to God. We belong to God by creation. Ezekiel 18.4, God said, All souls are mine as the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth it shall die. All souls belong to God. So we belong to God. We also belong to God by redemption. Man sinned and God redeemed or brought us back. He bought us back. 1 Corinthians 6, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God and not, and ye are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit or attitude, which are God's. Everything we possess belongs to God. All right? The other reason we're holy is for others. We want, we want to see people's lives changed. From a lifestyle of sin, what is the alternative or what's the option? It's becoming a Christian. So we want to see people's lives changed. If becoming a Christian doesn't change your life, then what's the point in becoming one? If people do not see a change in us, then why pursue a lifestyle of Christianity? By living a holy, moral, righteous, clean life, we show people an alternative to unclean, immoral, and unhappy lifestyle of sin. And I think it's important when you're walking around Walmart to look like you're a little happy with your relationship with Jesus. If there's one place where, to me, hypocrisy is acceptable, just go for it, man. Even if you don't feel all warm and fuzzy about being a child of the king, play like you do when you're in public. Save your frown for when you get home. We show people through our lifestyle uh, what they can be saved from. But it has to be something better than what they're doing. It has to be more attractive than what they're doing. Jesus said to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The third reason about being holy is for ourselves. If you want to see God, the Bible said, you'll live holy. If we're, we were not made to live in sin, creation establishes that. Let me give an example. If I buy a piece of equipment, it will come with instructions that say something like, to be used in accordance with the manufacturer's specifications. Have anybody ever seen that? Um, I saw a guy one time with a little push lawnmower several years ago trying to mow a cow pasture with it, and I just wished him luck. It's not made for that. You're going to burn that thing up, man? Uh, it's not made for that. If I ignore the instructions and use the equipment other than what it's made for, then I will do harm to the equipment and I'll avoid the warranty. When you violate in your body and your spirit, when you violate the teachings of the Word of God, you do harm to your body because you were not made to live in sin. Man was not created to live in sin. If you live a clean life, did you know this? If you lead a clean, pure Alcohol, nicotine-free life, you'll get a better rate on your insurance, on your life insurance. Even they know that. Insurance companies know that. So if you harbor hate, envy, bitterness, jealousy, fear, etc., you will do harm to your body over a period of time because you were not made to live harboring those kind of feelings. You weren't created to do that. 
If you live a lifestyle of sinful habits and immorality, you do yourself harm because you were not made to live in sin. So living a godly, clean life helps your marriage. It helps your family, your kids, your job, your health, everything. That's a beautiful attraction to live in a godly, pure life. I thought that's pretty cool right there. Right? So all of our problems in society go back to sin. Okay, let me move on quickly. There's three things that enable you to live a holy life. There's three things that enable you, empower you to live a holy life. According to Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, and Hebrews 10.38, faith is at the top of that list. The Bible said the just shall live by holiness standards. <clears throat> the just shall live by faith. Our salvation comes by God or grace, comes by God or grace. Through us, our faith. Salvation comes by God, His grace, through us, our faith. So the doctrine of grace means that salvation is a gift of God. You cannot earn your salvation. You don't live good to get God. You get God to live good. You don't work to earn your own salvation. You are saved by grace, no matter what you've been, where you've done. I love that song the praise team sings sometimes. No matter where I've been, no matter what I've done. You don't, you don't work to salvation. You are saved and then work from there. We live holy not to get saved, but because we are saved. We do not live by legislation. It's not the question that you do not ask in reference to this material. Is if I do this or that, will I go to hell? And I've heard people ask that question. Now, Pastor, come on, really. You know, if I do that one little thing, is God going to send me to hell? That's not the question. The question to ask is, am I in a faith-based relationship with God? If I am, then I'll do whatever it takes to please him. That's the question to ask. So we must be willing to be obedient and submissive. Notice the Bible said in Revelation 21.8, powerful scripture. But the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars. Everybody say liars. Shall have their part in the lake of fire which burns with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. The Bible makes a strong statement here. If I'm in a faith-based, grace-based relationship with God, and I'm a liar. Who was it? Y'all remember, uh, is it Jerry Clower? Y'all remember him, the comedian? I ask y'all, y'all remember Jerry Clower? Um, have one no? The comedian from Mississippi that talked about the Leadbetters? Anyway, he said one of the Leadbetter boys was uh, a new gene. What new gene? It was new gene. Was a pedigreed bona fide liar. Everything that came out of his mouth was a lie. He said he came in the house one time and told everybody that there was a lion out in the yard. And they knew full good and well in southern Mississippi there were no lions out there. So uh, they said, Eugene, you're a lion and you know you're a lion and you go upstairs and you ask God to forgive you. There's no lion outside. What happened is the neighbor had a big old collie dog and they, the dog's hair got matted and they shaved him completely except for his head and tail. <clears throat> So when Eugene went upstairs and repented, he came right back downstairs, and he said, I got it all straight. And they said, are you sure? He said, absolutely, I'm sure. He said, but God spoke to him. He said, Eugene, don't worry about thinking that dog was a lion. The first time I saw him, I thought it was a lion, too. 
So if you are a liar and you believe in the Word of God, if you believe the Word of God and if you want to please God, then you'll stop lying. You don't stop lying so you don't go to hell. You stop lying because you want to please God. Does that make sense? It's a relationship, so you want to please God, okay? So if I believe God, I'll believe His Word and I'll pursue holiness. My faith in God's Word will enable God's grace to work in me and change me. So we are saved by grace, which is God's work in us, not by our goodness. So we receive God's Word through faith. We walk by faith, which is a basis of your relationship with God. So notice, if you say, I know the Bible says this about this, but I'm not going to do it, then it's indicative of the fact that you really don't believe God and you really don't believe the Word of God. If you did, you would do it. Everybody say amen. Okay. The second thing that will empower you or enable you to live a lifestyle of holiness is love. Jesus said, a very powerful scripture in John 14, 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. That's a powerful verse of scripture. If you love Jesus, if you want to please him, then you'll want to keep his commandments and do whatever he asks you to do. That's what it boils down to. Uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but marriage depends on a lot of this. Successful marriage depends on this kind of an attitude. It's not that anybody's holding a gun to your head and saying that you have to be married and nobody sets certain marital standards that you have to live up to. You work that relationship. I'll get into that more later. That's coming down the pike. Suffice it to say, oh, the things that husbands and wives will do for each other, not because it is law, and I'll get into that more later, but because they love each other. I would like to think of all the married couples here tonight that there's things you do for your spouse that you're not doing for anybody else. Why? Why do you do that? Is it because of some cultural standard? No. It's because you love that person. Folks, it's literally that simple. If you really love Jesus, you'll want to do whatever it takes to please him. If you are divorced, then in a nutshell, one ceases to please the other. Somewhere along the line is where the divorce proceedings began. But if you really love God, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. You'll want to please the one you love. You'll want to please the one you love. I've, I've come in my pastoral years to resent the question, well, if I go to that church, I can't do this and I can't do that. I hate that question. I like for church people to say, look, I can go to my church and do anything I want. But the reason I don't do it is because I love Jesus. That's all you got to say, man. That's all you got to say. I put up with more baloney out of my kids. You do too. Why do you do that? Why don't you get rid of them? Anybody tempted? No, it's awfully quiet here tonight. I'm getting nervous again. Nobody wants their kids anymore. But the reason you put up with all that stuff is because you love them. And that's our approach and attitude to God. You do what you do because you love him. Law, the law is stronger Love is stronger than the law, and sadly, some think it's legalism. 
Legalism is earning your salvation by your good works. You cannot save yourself by your good works. Some say that the alternative to legalism is doing what is right in your own eyes. If you read the book of Judges, you will find that that's what they did. And the book of Judges is no utopia or Garden of Eden either. It's chaos, heartbreak, tragedy, disaster, murder, and stupid decisions. Samson being the prime example. There, there was no one on the throne. There was no one to be accountable to. So the proper alternative to legalism is love. Love is stronger and more demanding than the law and far more rewarding. Watch this. In marriage. How many people are married here tonight or have been married? You, you know what? Raise your hand. Steve, you're not married? Bunch on you. Oh, I couldn't see it's behind Brother Ben's head. Again, getting nervous. Y'all making me a nervous. I'm going to have to have counseling after this service tonight or something. In marriage, obeying the law doesn't produce intimacy. In marriage, obeying the law does not produce intimacy, does not produce relationship, nor does it produce children. The law says don't commit adultery, but this is only a safety net. It's a minimum requirement. If I'm tempted to and tempted and think of the consequences of what will happen to me, my marriage, my family, my ministry or career, then the law stops me from committing adultery. So if I say in marriage I'm only going to keep the law, then I need to understand it doesn't promise a happy marriage. There are many ways I can be crude and insensitive without breaking the law. But if I love my spouse, then I will do more than what the law requires me to do. So if you love Jesus, you'll want to do more than holiness standards. You'll want to do more than what the law requires you to do. If you love him. If you love him, you'll want to please him. So if you love God, you will be stricter on yourself than the law could ever be. You'll be stricter on yourself than holiness standards could ever be. Sometimes we want to know, what do I have to do to be saved or to be a member in the church or be used as a leader in the church? These are legalistic-based questions because we're asking for a minimum requirement that I can do and still be in good standing with God and the church. People approach me sometimes and say, well, show me that in the Bible. That's where you begin to get into trouble, and here's why. It's like using the Bible as the IRS tax code. If I find a loophole claim or deduction when it comes to the IRS, I'm going to take it, dude. I'm just sorry. I, I'm patriotic and I love my country, but I am not going to give our government more than they're requiring. But I can't treat God like that. My country doesn't provide me the incredible things that God and His Word does. Our attitude should be, God, what do you want me to be? What do you want me to become? Whatever it is, I love you and I'll do whatever it takes to please you. So a lot of holiness questions are difficult to answer because we have the wrong attitude. It's not a minimum requirement that keeps me out of hell, but rather what will draw me closer to God? What can I do that will draw me closer to Him? Let me continue on. Certain things may not be a sin to you, but weights can hinder your relationship, according to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So it's not as close to the world as you can get and still be saved, but it's to get as close to God as you can. It's to pursue holiness. Is everybody on board? The third thing that empowers you is the Holy Ghost. This is your power source. Do y'all realize there's electricity in the building? Does anybody see it? Anybody see electricity in the building? If you see it, I'd like to know. 
I see the result of it. I didn't mean to set you up for a, I, I didn't mean for that to be a trick question. There is electricity in the building, but it don't do anybody an ounce of good until somebody turns it on, until somebody flips a switch. It does no good. Listen to pastor tonight. God will not make decisions for you. God doesn't do your praying and fasting for you. He doesn't do your Bible study for you. You discipline yourself to do these things. And when God talks to your heart and mind, you lean on the Holy Ghost to do what God is enabling you and empowering you to do. It would be pretty cool if we could pray and say, God, from now on, I'd like for you to do all my praying for me. God, I'd really appreciate it if you would uh, do all my fasting. Boy, that'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? I thought it'd be pretty cool. Uh, So it's, there's things God will do for you, but there's other things you have to do for God in return. It's like being married. You can't expect your spouse to do everything. It's a give and take, right? And it's that way, it's a relationship with God and you strive to please him. So it's not by a demand of the law, but by the leading of the spirit. The Holy Ghost will lead you and guide you into all truth. God gives you the ability through the power of the Holy Ghost, but you have to take the responsibility. Can I have a few more minutes? Thank you. Since y'all not answering me anyway, I'll just... So we have three holiness teachers. Three holiness teachers and... I won't be much longer. <laughs> um, we have the Word of God. We have the Bible as a teacher. You need to understand what pastor is about to present. There are many things in the Word of God that are explicit. They are stated plainly. The Bible teaches plainly, do not lie. If you do, you will go to hell. Right? The Bible teaches to dress modestly. These are explicit teachings of the Bible. Everybody say explicit. But then the Bible also teaches things that are implicit. That is, the principle is there. The Bible is not just a rule book for one age or one era, but it is a book for every age, every race, every culture, every country, and so on. So if you only approach the Bible as a rule book, then you could play games with it. But if you approach it with the attitude, what is the principle or what is the Bible trying to say to me? What's the Bible trying to teach me? Then the Bible comes alive. It becomes inspirational and revelatory. For example, I'll give you an example here. The Bible does teach us not to get drunk. Proverbs 20, verse 1, Proverbs 23, 29 through 35, Ephesians 5, 15 through 18, Proverbs 23, 19 through 20. The Bible said in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10 that drunkards shall not inherit the kingdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 5, 11, the Bible said don't even associate with drunkards. So the Bible teaches us not to drink and get drunk. Examples of drunkenness are found in Noah and his relationship with his son Ham and Lot with his two daughters. But the Bible doesn't say one time not to smoke pot. So if you take the Bible as a rule book, then you will assume that I can't get drunk, but I can smoke pot. This is where the Bible is implicit in its teaching. It doesn't say thou shalt not smoke pot, but it's teaching a principle. 
So if you can't get drunk, what the Bible is saying is that God doesn't want you intoxicated or addicted to substances that abuse the body and replace the satisfaction of God in your life. Our senses and inhibitions cannot be given over to foreign governments. That's why the Bible says, Be not drunk on wine as in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So the Bible is teaching a principle here concerning addictive things. Does everybody understand that? So the Bible teaches explicitly some things and other things. The Bible can't name every sin on the planet. It'd be this tall from the floor. Nobody would ever read it. It'd be as big as this church building. You think it's a rule book now? Put all sin in it. It'd be worse than the old-fashioned set of encyclopedias. I mean, you'd have to update computers unbelievably to put every sin. So God gave principles. Hope that makes sense to everybody. To me, it's real simple. The Bible is a book of godly principles, not rules. It's a book of godly principles, not rules. It's a guidebook that leads to eternal life, not a rule book that keeps you in bondage. So we have the Word of God to help us live a holiness lifestyle. Number two, we have the pastor. We don't have the right to add or take away. I say this as pastor and anyone else for that matter. We do not have the right to add or take away from the Word of God. I wish I had time tonight. I've illustrated this before. is to take a Bible and just start cutting the verses out that you don't agree with. Let's just cut them out and let them fall on the floor. And then does anybody want this Bible? Nobody does. So we don't have a right. So if you took a Bible and started adding all of your thoughts and opinions to it, I can promise you nobody would want it. <clears throat> so we don't add or take away from the Word of God. If any preacher tells you, you must do this, even though it's not like that in the Bible, or if he tells you don't worry about that when the Bible teaches certain things, you need to find another pastor. The Bible is the Word of God, and no one has the right or the authority to change it or to overrule it. But... If pastor teaches the truths of the Bible, then you're responsible and accountable to God for the things you've been taught. You're also responsible to obey and submit to the Word of God. So, we have the Bible, but how do we understand it? How do we apply the principles of the Bible? This is where pastor comes in. Pastor prays and studies, then God leads and guides him. It's worked like this for 2,000 years. It's worked like this for 2,000 years. It's worked like this for 2,000 years. We have people in our society now that's wanting to change all of that. So for every age and culture, for every social issue, God has always had a man that he can move in and speak through. God has always had men available for that. So some say the pastor's been misinformed or I don't think he understands me or my family or my situation. Wait a minute. This is a man of God that God has placed in your life for spiritual leadership and guidance. So if you choose to do it your way and ignore the preaching and teaching of the pastor, you better be 100% right. The pastor is in the church to watch for your soul and will have to give an account for you. This is a God-installed, God-established mechanism. But let me give you an example of how God uses the preacher. The preachers of old, Wesley, Calvin, Knox, those guys, late 1800s, preached against tobacco. 
cigarettes, pipes, cigars, they preached against it. They didn't have all the scientific data about lung cancer and so on that we have now. But they knew it wasn't appropriate for a child of God to smoke. Years later, we now know the pitfalls about tobacco. God spoke to and through the preacher. The American Lung Association says that lung cancer is a leading cancer killer. Most lung cancer is caused by smoking, as we all know. But it's a leading cancer killer in both men and women in the United States. In 1987, it surpassed breast cancer to become the leading cause of cancer deaths in women. An estimated 154,050 Americans are expected to die from lung cancer this year, uh, accounting for approximately 25% of all cancer-related deaths. We thought it was a crime that 58,000 veterans was killed in Vietnam. We thought it was a crime when over 4,000 were lost in the war in Iraq, but 150,000-plus are dying of cancer, most of it due to smoking. God moved on the preacher years ago, over 100 years ago, to preach against it when they had no scientific data. Don't tell me the role of preacher and pastor is not important. Five times as many Americans die from nicotine as are killed in automobile accidents. The number of coronary and vascular deaths resulting from smoking exceeds the combined total from all accidents, suicides, and homicides. One out of every 270 non-smokers dies of lung cancer. One out of 10 smokers die of lung cancer. 40% of cancer found in men and 30% of cancer found in women are smoking-related. And nicotine is one of the most addicting drugs. God knew that, and he moved on the preacher before all this data existed. So you can see how God uses the ministry. In addition, the Bible addresses the pitfalls of nicotine use. You'll notice the implicit principles about this in Romans 12 and 13 and 2 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Corinthians 3 and so on and so on and so on. The Bible teaches not to do these things, and now the medical field and science has shown us why. Proverbs has an interesting scripture in chapter 16, verse 27, An ungodly man diggeth up evil, and in his lips there is a burning fire. Is it talking about smoking? You decide. We should listen to the man of God. He shows us how to understand and apply the word of God. In conclusion tonight, the third thing that will enable us to live a holiness lifestyle is the Holy Ghost. Listen to pastor. The Holy Ghost will never teach you contrary to the word of God. God never steps outside of what he teaches in his word. He does not. If somebody walks up to you and says, God just spoke to me and there's not going to be a rapture, you need to find somebody else to be friends with. Person's a loony tune. The Holy Ghost will never recite rebellion towards a man of God. I knew a man one time, have to be real careful here, but started having prayer meetings in his home, uh, praying that they had a group of people coming from a certain church that, had, uh, that was praying that God would take their pastor out of the pulpit. That man's daughter committed suicide two or three years after all that. There's just things that just, you know, you can't put your finger on and say, yeah, that's why. But it sure makes you wonder. When you bow up against the Holy Ghost and, and you misunderstand the purpose of it, the Holy Ghost is a witness to your own personal life. It's funny how we use the Holy Ghost to judge everyone else. But it's designed to, for you to be able to look inward. Sometimes we have to make immediate decisions about things in life. Should we do it or should we not do it? 
and you don't always have time to fast for three or four days and go through a Bible study or call the pastor. But if you'll be sensitive to the Holy Ghost on the inside of you, God will guide you through the circumstance or situation that you're facing. Here's a general rule of thumb. If you're unsure if something is sinful or not the best choice, then don't do it. Ask yourself, what would Jesus do? So we have three witnesses to assist us in our holiness lifestyle, and that is the Bible, the pastor, and the Holy Ghost. Those three things, and that's biblical. I'm going to stop right here. Uh, I have a lot more material I want to share with you, and this is just kind of a foundation, an introduction. We'll be getting into more of it, not next Wednesday night because of the missionary, but following. Uh, we'll, we'll wrap this up. So God bless you. I hope it's been a blessing so far, but again, there's a lot more to come. But thank you very much for your attention tonight, and I've got one minute. I did it, and I have one minute to spare. Hallelujah. See, this was the will of God after all, right? So God bless you. Stand with me tonight, and uh, let's conclude with a word of prayer. I feel like we need to be a little more sober tonight and ask God to help us to understand the word of God that was taught here tonight. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We're thankful tonight for this amazing opportunity to share the Word of God, to break open the bread of life. I pray, God, tonight that you will take these words and let it minister to those that are open, those that are hungry, those that need to understand better. I believe with all of my heart that we've taught the Word of God tonight without restraint, without restriction, without parameters. We've taught the Word of God without bent, without priority. I pray, God, tonight that you would bless our hearts and our minds to understand it, to receive it, I pray, God, that we'll just take it as it is presented and understand that a relationship with you is worth everything. Yes, it is. It's worth everything. But it's the most rewarding. It's the most fulfilling. It gives us more assurities and promises. It gives us more hope than anything else, any other lifestyle in this world can offer. And I pray, God, tonight that we'd sell out to you, that our attitude would be towards you. God, show me. And if you do, whatever it takes, I want to please you. I want you to be happy with my life because I want to go to heaven. I want to spend eternity with you because I love you. I want to treat you like a family member in kindness and giving. I want God to do whatever it takes to please you. God, help us tonight to accept and receive the word of God. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Thank the Lord. Walk around and smile and be nice to people. Uh, Greet our guests tonight. God bless you and we'll see you. Sunday morning.